What's up, Crave? Tonight, we wrap up our question series, and before we do that, I have a question for you. Who is going to win the Super Bowl tonight? Probably the Chiefs. Well, yeah, I ask that because my, my assistance tonight comes in the form of uh, Robsy Bolin. Yes, $500 million Robsy Bolin. Yeah, not Patrick Mahomes. I know he's wearing a Patrick Mahomes jersey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anybody got big plans tonight? Anything exciting? Good food? All right, right see us after. We'll, we'd love to come over and uh, partake. It'd be great. <laughs> so uh, I asked Robsy to come and help us this week because last week uh, was daunting uh, to try to get up and answer questions. Guys, I went back and listened to the podcast. Uh, if you didn't know, we do a minutes. podcast. Yeah, if you didn't know, we podcast. So uh, if you miss a week or if you just want to go back and listen, you can search wherever podcasts can be found for Crave High School Ministry. And I listen back every week, and it was 50 minutes. And I thought, that's too much for just me, so I brought in Robsy. Robsy, how you doing? Doing well. Wonderful. I'm enjoying the year of 2021. Yes, no doubt. All right, well, with no further ado in preamble, we're going to dive in. Uh, thank you for submitting questions. We've got 29 questions we're going to get to tonight. Uh, and at, as we get into it, I lied, there is more preamble. Hear me say this again. Questions can be a really good thing. If anybody ever tells you asking questions about the Bible, your faith, eternity, Jesus is wrong, I'm telling you I think they're wrong. This is a good thing. It's a good exercise. Uh, and we've got some good questions tonight. So we're going to jump right in. Question one. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons if they were not connected to mother? Just show of hands, who says, yes, Adam and Eve definitely had belly buttons? Who feels really strongly about this? Okay, hands down. Who says, no, they did not have belly buttons? Okay. Who says, I have no idea. This is the weirdest question I've ever heard. Okay, that's, that's the clear winner. Uh, Robsy and I did a ton of research on this one. Not, not I looked really. at so much scripture. There's yeah, this, there's, there's this, the Bible is just filled with answers to this question. Yeah. Uh, my notes say my best guess is no, but I don't know. Robsy, you say? I say yeah because no biblical evidence, but just it wouldn't make sense not to have a belly button. No biblical evidence would suggest that they did. Okay, sorry, we're not going to do this all night. I promise, I promise. We're uh, about to spend all 50 minutes on this? Yeah, I don't, I don't know who asked this, but we don't know. We don't know. My guess is, my guess is no. Robsy's guess is yes. When you get to heaven one day and you ask them, you should come find me and Robsy. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. You were both wrong. Or How? just go find them and then just be like, do you? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, question two. How can we make big decisions and know it's God's plan? Uh, this, is, this is both a really deep one, and it's really pretty easy to answer. What's God's will for your life? You're like, oh my gosh, I've wrestled with this for years. What do you mean this is easy? I'll tell you. God's will for your life is to love him and to love others. And you're like, well, that's a cop-out. No, it's not. We get so bogged down into wanting the step-by-step -step manual to life. And I just don't think that's how God operates. I challenge you to go into Scripture and find a place where God says to anyone, hey, here's the 27 steps you're going to walk through. If you go and look in Genesis at the story of Abram, he's told, leave behind everything you've ever known, the comfort of home, gather up all that is yours, and leave to go to a place that I will show you. Wait, what do you mean? Like, where are we going? No, that's, that's not how God operates. He says, leave, move go and and i'll reveal more to you as we go 
Um, God does not give us the roadmap step by step by step by step. And I know for a lot of us type A folks who are like, I have to know. You just need to make some peace with the fact that you may not know every step of every part of your life. I think God can sometimes show you the next step. Uh, I think God can sometimes make things very clear to you. Uh, but what, what I would like to say, and then I'll throw it over to Robsy to kind of wrap up on this, is you don't have to live in fear of, if I choose A, but I was supposed to choose B, oh no, like God can't bless that, God can't work in my life. I, I don't think that's it. If you're yeah. not choosing between something sinful and not sinful, okay, choose the not sinful thing, right? But if it's two good choices, and in both of those things you can glorify God, I think God gives us some freedom to choose, okay? So don't sweat at night, this college, that college, marry this person, that person, like, breathe, breathe. You got anything you want to throw on top of that, Robsy? Yeah, I think also sometimes we just think that our plans or our choices are going to ruin God's plan, Mm. but it doesn't happen. You look at Jonah, he tried to stop God's plan, Mm. and God said, no, you're still going where I told you to go. Um, and so I think sometimes we can just find peace and rest in the choices that we make. And I think if we just pray and we meditate and we're seeking after what God wants us to do, that we'll find that peace, we'll find that rest, and we'll know that that decision is something God wants us to do. Love it. Uh, we'll try to give you some scripture for some of these tonight, too, so if you're taking notes. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll show you which path to take. So something to think about. Okay? Uh, and again, I'm saying this towards the beginning. If you feel like we're moving past your question quickly, it's not on purpose. We just have a lot to get through in a, in a limited amount of time. So if you have more questions after the fact, come see us, okay? Question three, how can God bring someone into your life to save you? Uh, salvation, salvation is in Jesus alone. But it, if the spirit behind this question is uh, someone who can, can come into your life and kind of point you in the right direction, I think that can happen. I think God orchestrates certain people coming into our lives. And sometimes it's just for a season. Uh, You know, sometimes if we look back, we go, man, I really miss that person. I wish we were still close. But they've moved or you've moved or life has gotten in between you. And they they were just in your life for a season. But I think God can absolutely use family, friends, teammates, coworkers, enemies. I think he can use all manner of people uh, to, to point you to him, if that makes sense. Romans 8, 28 says that God causes all things to work together. And we tend to use that verse in the face of tragedy, but I'm telling you, man, I think the people that you meet in, in class, in school, uh, work, wherever you go along the way in life, I think God can absolutely be speaking through you or through them to you, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, and some other ways is you look at uh, Peter in Acts. He was given a dream, and then an angel came to him and told him, hey, you need to go see this guy who is a Gentile. Ends up sharing the gospel with him and ends up saving him. So, like, how are some of those ways? It could be a dream. God could send an angel, um, or God could just place somebody in your life, whether they just sit next to you, whether they just started up a conversation, um, or just friendships. Also, just think of Jesus, when he says he has to go to Samaria, Samaria, oh man, that Samaria, word. Samaria, yes, That's the place. I kept wanting to say Samaritans, you got that, stuff. That makes sense. Um, and he says, I have to go here, and they're like, no, it's way quicker to go this way, and he's like, no, I have to go there, because he has to go talk to the lady at the well. Right, so sometimes just God just sends people places to meet with you to have that conversation. No doubt. All right, question four. Is it bad to listen to music with curse words if you don't curse? Yeah, we've all wondered this. Like, I'm at the gym, and I, I mean, I love Hillsong, but 
I mean, I don't think I can get my maximum reps if I'm in here trying to like praise the Lord. I need something with a little little thump to it, right? <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say to you. I think if you put garbage in, garbage is ultimately going to come out. And, and I, listen, I'm not going to pretend like all I've ever listened to in my entire life is Christian music. But I am telling you, if you consistently are, are putting that stuff in, eventually it's going to have an impact on how you speak to people. So again, not a statement of condemnation. If you're into some of those bands, you know, I think we, we can get a little confused about Christian and secular music. Hopefully we have Christians who are making good music. Uh, and I hope that's something that you'll uh, look for. If you have more questions on music, see Jacob Russo. He'd love to talk with you more about this, wherever he is. Uh, he would love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, question five. Does God love the devil? Because the Bible says he loves everything he made equally. So I guess he loves Satan as much as me, which I think is amazing in a good way. So does God love the devil is my question. Some deep thinking here. Uh, And and there are differing opinions on this. You can find some people who say, yes, God is love. Therefore, he loves everyone. And then you find other people who say, no, uh, yes, God is love, but he's also just. And I'm saying to you, God is no more love than he is justice. Like God is not reducible to one quality or characteristic. So I would say to you, no, I, I don't think that God loves Satan. Uh, the Bible is clear about God hates sin. It's the object of his wrath. And and Satan is one who, like, that's what he's all about, right? Um, He's the enemy. That's 1 Peter 5, 8. He's the evil one, Matthew 6, 13. He's the father of lies and a murderer, John 8, 44. The accuser of God's people, Revelation 12, 10. That's actually what Satan means. Satan is not a name. It's a title, the accuser. Uh, what else we got here? He's the tempter, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. He's proud, wicked, and violent, Isaiah 40, uh, 14, 12 through 15. He's a deceiver, Acts 13, 10. A schemer, Ephesians 6, 11. A thief, Luke 8, 12. John 10, 10 says he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, are you getting the picture here? Satan is opposed to God in every way. What I do want to point out, though, is sometimes we think that God and Satan are like diametrically, equally opposite opposed, and they're not. They're not set up in this cosmic clash. It's not like the old Sakambapam robots where, you know, they're equal. They're not. Satan, his future is foretold in Revelation 20. He will be defeated. He's been defeated in Christ. So, so don't miss that, okay? It's, it's important. And we'll talk more about Satan when we talk about hell in a little while. And if that makes you sweat a little bit, uh, stick with us. It'll be fine. Uh, question six. I'm going to throw this one over to Robsy first. Uh, what can I do to quiet my mind to hear God's voice? Robson. Yeah, I think sometimes we just get so in the middle of stuff that we don't take time just to sit down and be quiet. And you hear it say it from the stage, just sit down and be quiet, listen for God. So I like this question of like, well, then how do I do that? Um, and some things we can do is we can just find a quiet place. Just have a consistent place where this is just for you and God only. This isn't a place where you also play video games. This isn't also a place where... Um, you bring your phone. This is just a place for you and God. And I know sometimes for me, even if I get into that place, I just start thinking about something and I'm like, oh no, we're out of ranch dressing. <laughs> what is ranch dressing even made out of? Is it mayonnaise? Do they put pepper in it? And then I'm like in this rabbit hole, right? And so sometimes what I found that helps me is, I read this in a Francis Chan book once, just picture the throne of God hmm. and that you're kneeling before God before you go into prayer. And I found that sometimes if I can concentrate on that, it helps put myself into a more meditative state 
And then I've just basically, I've already humbled myself because I'm like picturing myself at the throne of the creator of the universe. So if you're looking for something, maybe that works for you. I've also found maybe just sometimes just like meditating on a scripture, just having a piece of scripture in your mind, and you're just working through that over and over and over again until something different comes into your mind. Yeah, I think Ravzi crushed it. Silence, solitude, some stillness. Uh, I've started doing this thing uh, where I turn my phone off. <gasps> oh no, what if something happens? Turn your phone off, man. Focus. Turn those other things down so that you can listen for the still, small whisper of God's voice. You can go read about God as a whisper, 1 Kings 19. Okay? Uh, question seven. How can I strengthen my faith in the Lord? Well, you come to crave, right? Of course. That's, mm. that's, a, that's a shameless plug. No. Uh, it starts with studying Scripture. And I do say study Scripture because I think sometimes we read the Bible just to say we read the Bible, right? Like if you're doing a Bible reading plan with somebody, you just kind of check, 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 check. Reading the Bible should not be a checklist item for us. We should study the Scripture. We should read it for understanding. If we don't, we go ask questions. We find resources that can help us. So study Scripture. Have an active prayer life. And I don't mean just like, thank you, God, for this food, amen. Like, if that's the sole substance of your prayer life, you're struggling. Um, I do think that you should make uh, worship a consistent part of your life. And worship is more than just the 20-something minutes we do at the beginning of a, of a gathering on Sunday. Uh, spend some time worshiping through song, but worship is just also acknowledging God for who he is, what he's done in your life. So, so do all of those things. Uh, read some books above and beyond the Bible that can perhaps strengthen your faith. You know, you heard Rodney talk about Francis Chan. What a great author to go and read some stuff by. Uh, you can go, and, and Timothy Keller is a wonderful author. Uh, there, there's just, there's a, if, if you say, hey, I've got a I've got a subject I'm interested in. I want to read more about this, study more about this from a Christian perspective. Come see us. Ask your small group leader. We'll get you hooked up with some stuff, okay? And think, think of faith as like a muscle and that you're working that muscle out. And that's how you're going to be able to strengthen your faith. So doing these things, reading, praying, studying. Also, James calls um, faith a fruit of the Spirit. And it's mm -hmm. a fruit of the Spirit. We all have that as Christians. So you don't also not have your faith. It's not something you need to obtain. You already have it. You just need to build that muscle up, doing all these things that Kevin was just talking about. No doubt. James 4.8, actually, Rodney's saying James, uh, spur this on. James 4.8 says, come close to God. He will come close to you. It's a promise, okay? It's a promise. Question eight, how do I avoid becoming legalistic in my faith? This is a, this is a tough one. I would, I would not ask you to say, do you think you're legalistic? I'm telling you, I have been in the past for sure. Uh, it's something I've struggled with. Uh, if I could make this as simple as possible, what I would say to you is realize that a relationship is more important than you being right. Mm. Okay, legalism typically comes out of a place of over-prioritizing having like the high ground on a, on a position with something the, theologically like, well, I believe this and I'm right and everybody else who doesn't believe this is wrong. It's an us versus them type thing. And that's just not helpful. Yes, there are things that we believe are true and some people maybe don't hold with those. And yes, theology matters, of course. But I'm telling you, you've got to value relationships more than being right uh, I want to read this quote to you. Uh, this is by a guy named Justin Gibney. He works for an organization uh, called the AND Campaign. Uh, he tweeted this this week, uh, and I thought this was uh, appropriate. He says, we really need to reevaluate the wisdom in defining people by one action or one aspect of their lives. People can be terribly wrong on an issue that means a lot to you and also have other really valuable insights and contributions. So you can passionately disagree with somebody on something and not... Try to beat them over the head with it. Take the high ground like you can value that relationship. Does that, does that make sense? Nod your head. Up, I, I hope that makes some sense. Rob, you got anything to add to that? 
No, I think you got it. Wonderful. Grace abounds all the more. Grace abounds. Indeed. Okay, question nine. Does the Bible say anything about being addicted to drugs? I'll hit you with a couple scriptures and, and then just a few thoughts. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded. Okay, so there's, there's a call there to that. Uh, Ephesians 5, 18 speaks specifically about wine. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what I would say to you is it, if you're addicted to drugs or, or you're dealing with somebody in your life who's addicted to drugs, that, that can easily consume you, right? Like that's something that's pulling your focus. It, it's filling your life with that versus, to use Paul's language, instead of being full of drugs and addiction, be full of the Spirit. And so, you know, does the Bible say anything about it? Yeah, I think it says it's not a great thing. And if you would say, hey, I am addicted or I know somebody's addicted, that's probably not something you're going to be able to beat yourself. Like, you're going to need to get somebody else involved, probably somebody on a professional level. There's no shame in that. And if you have somebody that you're like, hey, I think this person needs professional help, how do I begin to have that conversation? Come see us, okay? Or if it's you, you're like, hey, I, truthfully, I am addicted, but what do I do? Come see us. The first thing to do is take that step of, of not being alone in that. Does, does that make sense? Wonderful. Um, Robsy, I'm going to throw this next question over to you. Uh, number 10 says, tips for handling friendships with non-believers. How to talk about faith with them. What do you got for us, Robsy? I love this question so much. Um, so, tips for your handling your friendships with non-believers. One, you're just treating them like a believer, like you're loving people, right? You're not holding them to a higher standard. You're not holding them to a higher standard. You're not putting them above anybody else, right? They are your friend. You're going to do everything for them. You're going to love them just like they were your Christian brother. And then through that, you're going to, if you let your Christianity shine out of you, people are going to ask questions. I have people all the time ask me about, hey, Rob Z, so like, what do you think about like, you know, just being a good person and going to heaven? And I'm like, well, let me tell you, no one's good except the Father, right? And then we break this down. We have this whole conversation. And then, so you're almost like just sprinkling a little bit of gospel on everything. Um, and then eventually these questions will keep coming up and these questions will keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper until finally it's like, hey man, why don't you just come over to the house? We'll make some dinner and we'll just like, we'll dig through everything. Um, you really just need to be able to build that relationship with them. Otherwise, they're just gonna think that you are talking down to them. That you're saying, hey man, no one's good except the Father. You're not good. You're going to hell because you don't believe in Jesus. That's how they're gonna treat that other than you're saying, no one's good. I'm not good. You're not good, right? Um, and so it's just being real with them, being authentic with yourself to them and being just open and honest about everything. Hey man, I'm also struggling with this. Hey, I heard this cool thing at church the other day. You just let your Christianity shine through your life and people are going to ask questions. Yeah, I, I think that's so good. Like this idea of being salt and being light, um, specifically salt. Jesus talks about be, be like salt. Salt makes you thirsty. And so I think there's a better chance of you living this genuine life like Robsy's talking about and somebody going, man, I'm thirsty for what's different in this person. Like, I want, I want what this person has versus you trying to argue them into the kingdom, right? Like talking down to them like Robsy is saying. Uh, the way I always say it is you have to earn the right to be heard. So somebody shouting at you on the street corner is probably not going to be as effective as your best friend saying, hey, can we talk about this? And hear me say this. Don't be that guy or that girl. When somebody's like, man, it's hot out here today. Whew, you're right. You know what's hot? Hell, do you know where you're going when you die? Like, don't, don't always be looking for the most awkward segues into conversations about faith. Like, you don't have to do that. 
Let your life show it. Yes, learn how to talk about it, but build that relationship up. That re- picture a bridge, if you will, a relational bridge. You got to build some support to where then you can drive that heavy conversation over it. Okay, uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that's good. All right, question eleven. If someone considers themselves a Christian for most of their life, but then decides later that they, uh, they don't want to be a Christian, were they ever a Christian in the first place? I would tend to say no. And I don't say that from a place of, of harshness or condemnation. I think the Bible, when you look at some of these things, uh, you go look at the parable of the soils. Jesus talks about this thorny soil and this rocky soil, and there's really no roots. There's nothing that, that endures. There's nothing that sticks. Uh, You go look at Matthew 25, possibly one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture where Jesus talks about the end times. And he says there's going to be people who are like, Jesus, I did this and this and this and this for you. And he's like, you didn't do that for me. You were just doing some stuff. I don't know you. Depart from me into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. More on that in a minute. But I'm saying to you, I I think that somebody who, who truly is a Christ follower is going to endure. The Bible talks about endurance a lot. Um, and I'll actually read to you what, what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. You can check this out later. It says, It's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, who then turn away from God. It's impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. I, let, me, let me state this another way. I think it's difficult to truly, look at me, truly grasp who Jesus is and walk away from that. Um, that that's, just, that's just my opinion. Um, there, there's this concept of once saved, always saved. If you want to do some theological research, you can look into perseverance of the saints. Uh, that'll be kind of the buzzword you can use there. Um, so yeah. Okay, uh, Ravi, I don't think this next one was on the questions I gave you either, so I'll just keep rolling. Question 12, this is a North Greenville special. Uh, does God predetermine who's going to get saved, or does everyone have the ability to get saved since God knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? This is a hotly contested issue. Robsy and I both went to North Greenville. Was this, was, now, we, we went to North Greenville years apart. Robsy's young and full of life, and I'm old and bald. Was this still a conversation piece at North Greenville when you were there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This consumed entire, like, weeks and weeks of different classes. And, like, not even theology, like, math class. Um, the favorite. Yes. Hey, yes. what do you think about this, teacher? Oh, let me tell you, I have yeah. a very strong opinion. Yeah. Great, don't got to do any work today. Here's <laughs> that. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I believe this is one of those open-handed things. So, like, you can believe one way on this, and I can believe another, and I don't think we have to break fellowship. I don't think we have to go, wow, you're a heathen, you're going to hell. No, no, no. I will tell you what I believe, and, and I, I base this on Scripture. Now, you hear people say that, well, we're only, I'm only talking the Bible, but we all interpret the Bible, so you have to think about how you're going to interpret what you're reading. Uh, Romans 8, 29 through 30 says this, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having chosen them, he called them. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. But here's what we do. We go, well, that seems like that's not fair, right? Anybody just want to say, that, that doesn't seem fair. Anybody feeling that a little bit? Okay, nobody brave enough to raise his hand, but that's fine. Thank you, Ethan, in the back. I see that hand. <laughs> and what I would say to you is that you're right. That's not fair. Because what's fair is nobody to be saved. 
All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The, the wage of sin is death. But God chooses to save some, and that's grace, and that's mercy. People love Romans chapter 8. But you get to this part and then over into Romans chapter 9, which if you want to read more about this, do that. Romans 9, specifically 18 uh, through 20. Uh, and you can study more about this. It is a hotly debated issue. Rob Z, do you have, strong, do you have a strong stance on this? No, I've read books on both sides, and now I'm just stuck in the middle. <laughs> and, and that's okay. Like I, I went into college thinking one way. I came out of college thinking another way. I continue to study it. Uh, I, I don't think he would mind. Gabe Tootin, who graduated, y'all know Gabe. Gabe loves talking about this, so he's a resource. If you want to reach out to Gabe Tootin, he'd love to have this conversation with you. Uh, question 13. Uh, if God's law, his teaching and instructions for life, was not given until Moses, how did Noah know what was clean or unclean, or how did Cain and Abel know about giving sacrifices? Asked another way, hey, before people had the Bible, like, how did that work with their relationship with God? How did they communicate with God? If you go back and look in the beginning of the Bible, I think it's pretty simple to say there was direct communication. God spoke in a different way back then than he does now. Um, we talked last week about how you know, I've never heard God speak out loud, but people in the Old Testament, like this was something that happened with regularity. And so God communicated directly uh, with Noah, and he communicated directly with his people. And eventually it came to a time of communicating through prophets uh, and, and through Jesus and, and through the apostles, but um, direct communication with God would be my simple answer for that. And again, not blowing past this to, to blow it off, but we're, we're not even halfway. Question 14, and th this is a heavy one. Why does God give disabilities to children? Does he only give it to the people that he knows can handle it? I don't know. This is heavy. And this is another way of asking, if God's all-powerful and if he's perfectly good, how do we explain evil? This is, like, this is the question. This is the big question that a lot of people outside of the church have for those of us inside the church. And so I would encourage everybody in this room to do some research on this. Hey, if, if God truly is good, and we believe he is, if we believe he's all-powerful, how do we wrestle with the fact that there's evil in the world? And I would say to you, I, I think that, that God gives us the ability to make some choices. And the things that we see in the world are not... i got to be careful here. Sometimes these things that we see in the world that are broken and evil and awful and terrible are a direct result of our own choices. And that makes us uncomfortable. But sometimes they're not. And so for the person who asked this, or, or for anybody who wonders this, go read John chapter 9. It's the story of the man born blind. And the disciples, when they see this person, they, they ask Jesus, hey, why was this person born blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Because somebody had to have sinned for this bad thing to have happened. And Jesus says, no, not because of that. It's so that my power, so that the glory of God may be shown in his life. So why do these bad things sometimes happen? Man, I... I would be very cautious to say to somebody in the midst of that fresh tragedy, God has a plan, brother. Smile. No, no, no. But I'm saying to you, I think that sometimes God does allow us to go through these things so that we can glorify him. And honestly, I think a lot of people do turn and they walk away. But there are some who, who can endure and push through that. This is, this is a tough one. Do you, do you have anything you want to throw on top of that? That's, that's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's a hard concept to grasp, especially when you're, you're teetering and just saying, like, especially if you're asking this question or some of the other questions to follow. Um, 
why does God just allow evil to happen? And you can get into some arguments here. Um, you know, then we're just all robots. God's just forcing us to do whatever we want to do, and no one has free will, and then you're back to Calvinism versus Arminianism again. Um, so I do encourage you guys to do some research, look this up. If you guys are looking for something to Google, the problem of evil for all of those of you guys taking notes, that's what I would look up. Um, and then once you guys do this research, come back to us. Mm-hmm. Let's have that conversation. Let's see what you did agree with. Let's see what you didn't agree with. And you can see what me and Kevin don't agree with. I'd love to do that with you guys yeah, next week. That's a, and that's a different conversation. Hey, Kevin and Robbie, can we get coffee and talk about this? Yes, that's different than, hey, we're sitting here with 100 some odd people. Do you see that? Like, it's, it's harder. So come back to us, okay? Uh, these next five or six questions are all going to be on one slide. I'll read them all at once, and we'll kind of take them piece by piece. But these are all kind of connected. So we've, we've kind of moved from the standalone questions into some of these that, that uh, run together. So I think we're going to put up 15 through 19. Let me read them to you. Why does God take away the things I love? How can you overcome doubt, anger, hatred, pain, failure? How can I defeat my dark side that I've battled for years? How can I forgive myself for the pain I've caused? What should I do to move on from my past mistakes? Uh, We put these all together because a lot of this deals with some emotional health. Uh, and, and so we'll, we'll kind of tackle them together. Uh, why does God take away the things I love? I am sorry that this has happened to you, person who asked, or anybody else who feels this way. Um, and without further context, again, this is hard to address in a group. Uh, I will say this. Sometimes I think God does take things from us that we love because they're not good for us. Like, we don't always love things that are good for us. So sometimes I think God does protect us from ourselves. It's hard for us to see that in the moment. I think about my son, whose favorite thing right now is to sprint across the couch. And he thinks it's great. We all know it's not, because he could fall off and, and get hurt pretty, pretty easily. He's a little reckless. And so I have to set some boundaries for him. Son, you can't do this. You, you can sprint all you want on the floor, but you can't do this. And he just thinks I'm being mean. I'm taking away something he loves to do, but I'm not. I'm doing this to protect him. Or if your parents ever spanked you, or put you in time out because you wanted to sprint in traffic. My mom must hate me. She won't let me run in traffic. No. She just wants you to get hit. Sometimes God's going to take those things because it's for our good. Now, when we're talking about like family member passing away, best friend moving away, that gets a little more difficult. And so, again, I'd love to have this conversation one-on-one. But I would also say to all of us, like, be careful about laying everything at God's feet. Blaming God for everything that goes on. Uh, in our lives. So just, just, just be careful with that. Uh, Rob Z, talk to us about 16, overcoming doubt, anger, hatred, pain, and failure. Yeah. Um, so I think when you get to these places, like we're given these emotions because God also has these emotions, right? So feeling these emotions isn't wrong. It's not wrong to be angry about something. It's not wrong to have pain or to feel like you're a failure. But, it, but this feeling that we have can make us go into sin, right? You get angry about something, that's not sin. You start punching somebody, you're in sin, right? And so I think sometimes if we can just take these feelings and we can just take them to God with our, take, take our feelings to God, right? And I think it happens all the time in the Bible, right? David all the time is just like, God, why did this happen? And he's just like crying to God, right? He's just spilling out all of his emotions to him. And so I think that's healthy. In the same way that it's healthy for us to say, 
hey, Kevin, had a super bad day today. There's a crack in my windshield, super pissed about it. I did absolutely nothing wrong to my car. I've taken perfectly great care of my car, and now I have a cracked windshield that I have to pay a bunch of money to get fixed. This is dumb, right? But then it is like if I were to like go and start punching somebody, whoever, you know, or the guy whose rock fell out of his truck that hit my car and start crashing his car, that becomes sin, right? So I think venting, finding ways to just pray, go into your community, right? We talked about that in the last series. This is where community helps you, sh- helps show up here, is when you have all these emotions and you feel like you're not good enough, you feel like something's too much for you to bear, having this community, venting to God, talking about it, praying about it, um, just letting know that, just letting our guard down so that God can work inside of our lives and through other people. Yeah. And, and, and on that note, too, like, sometimes, again, it requires professional help. Like, it's great. And Ross was talking about community accountability. I think that's huge. But sometimes you just might need to talk with somebody professionally. Like, if, you, if you're really wrestling with some stuff mentally and emotionally and it's just, it's just getting on top of you, it's too much, maybe you need to talk to a counselor or a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. It's a good, normal, healthy thing to do. If you were struggling with something physically, you go see a doctor. If you've got something emotionally or mentally, you go see somebody who can help you with that. And that's, that's kind of my answer for some of this, the, the dark side that, you're, that you've battled for years. Don't be alone in that. Um, forgiving yourself for the pain that you've caused. Uh, I do think, I think the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. Um, the hard thing is, when we refuse to forgive ourselves, we place ourselves outside of the, the grace that God has given. We think, well, well, he can forgive somebody else, but he can't forgive me, and I certainly can't forgive myself. We confess our sin to God, right? If we need to go confess sin to somebody else, we've caused some pain, we've caused some hurt, we confess that sin, we, we ask for forgiveness. And if you've done those things, then you have to forgive yourself and move on. Even if somebody else refuses to forgive you, you have to take that step for yourself. And I would just be willing to bet there's easily a dozen or two dozen people in this room, you're struggling to forgive yourself for something, and, and you're, the, you're the only person who's trapping yourself in that. Like, you have to be willing to move forward. And if you need help with that, you talk to somebody. But understand, when we confess sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. First John 1, 9, right? Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says that we, if we forgive, we're forgiven. But if we don't forgive, we're not forgiven. So it's, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. If we refuse to forgive ourselves. That's, that's just not good. Last verse I'll give you, 1 Peter 5, 7, God cares for you, so turn all your worries over to him. Okay? Again, if you're struggling with any of this, come see somebody. It could be me, it could be Rob's, your small group leader, Mama Lynn. Go have a conversation with somebody. Don't be alone in this. Okay? Love you. Got to move on for the sake of, sake of time. Last oh, one last thing. This is a quote from me. That's a quote from my wife. That's a quote from Matt Chandler. Okay. You cannot out the cross good it's good so you think about having to forgive yourself you have not you have not out what jesus has already died to forgive you for so everything you can ever think of every if you compile me and kevin together all of our sins in one giant lump we is still not not out the cross not even close all right <laughs> that wasn't a braggadocious thing all right now we're going to kind of move into uh, a lot of these next ones are connected uh question 20 could y'all talk about the rapture uh, and then 21, what happens when Jesus comes back? Does God bring new people into the earth? Anybody curious about end times? Anybody? Yeah. So uh, this is eschatology, the study of the last things. And it's super interesting. 
But before we dive in, I, I want you to understand something. If you get obsessed with like Bible code, numerology, prophecy, trying to figure all this stuff out, you're missing the fact that like you may not make it until these last days. Like your last day could be today. So don't get so caught up in this that you miss the fact that like you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised another breath. Um, this stuff is, is difficult. So uh, this is a book that I have. It's called Systemi Systematic Theology. And what I love is it's an introduction to biblical doctrine. And it's this thick. Like this is thousands of pages. But it's just the introduction. Um, if you want to study about this, here's what I would tell you. Go find some good resources. Like I, I've loaned this book out before. I know JC has a couple systematic theology books. Like we're, we're willing to let you borrow these types of things. It would be impossible for Robsy and I, even, even two North Greenville grads, to like fully unpack this in the few minutes that we have. But what I will say, uh, I'll take my best crack at some of this, the rapture, uh, and Robsy and I kind of, we talked a little bit about this beforehand. I have a full page of notes just on this one question. So I'll try to push through. Here's what we believe. Jesus is coming back. That's good news. Matthew 24, 44 says this, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Further up in that passage is verse 36, which says that nobody knows the time. And if you go over uh, to Matthew 24, 27, it says it won't be a secret. It talks about like when you observe uh, powerful storms and weather phenomena, like it, it's something that everybody can see, right? Think about the snow last night. Everybody can see that unless you live south of 85, then you probably didn't get any. I'm really sorry, okay? If you're north of 85, you probably got all the snow and it was wonderful. But the, the verse actually says when lightning flashes, everybody can see it. So if somebody comes and says, Jesus has come back, but it was a secret and you, and, and you missed it. And I'm a special privileged person. Jesus says, be, be wary of somebody who speaks like that. Uh, that. That when he returns and he is coming, that it will be a known thing. And there's a, hear me, ton of different folks who have prophesied over the years and predicted over the years and said over the years, hey, Jesus is coming back now. He's coming back now. He's already come back. And a lot of that can get really, really tricky. But I'm saying to you, believe when Jesus comes back, we'll know it. Um, the rapture, uh, if that's not something you're familiar with, it's, it's this idea of being caught up to meet Jesus in the air. We get this. You can go read about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. It talks about Lord himself coming down, commanding shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet of God, believers rising, meeting him in the air, going to be with him forever. Sounds good. Like, when is this going to happen? What do I need to know about this? Anybody ever read the Left Behind books? Anybody in this room? Wow, like several more people than I would have thought. Most of them are adults, I'm realizing now, though. Um, <laughs> there was a series of books in the 90s and early 2000s called Left Behind, and it, and it painted a very narrow, like, this is the only way it could possibly be. And I grew up thinking, of course, it had to be this way because I read about it in these fiction books. And it's just not the case. Like, when is the rapture going to happen? There's this idea of a tribulation, a time of great testing, seven years. Is it going to be before that? Is it going to be in the middle of it? Is it going to be at the end of it? And there are very smart people who love Jesus who all disagree about this. And I'm telling you, I, like, I'm not well equipped enough to say definitively it's this. I don't feel good about that. Robsy and I talked about it before. I, I don't think Robsy is like, you know what? Kevin's just dumb. Let me tell you exactly what's going to Half so, of that's true. Half of that is true. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Robsy. Um, there's this, there's this millennium that's mentioned. You can go read about this in, in Revelation 20. It talks about a thousand years of Christ reigning and then Satan will be loose for a while and, and then there'll be this final battle. And guys, Revelation like, is a question unto itself. You could have just written him like, Revelation, question mark. 
agreed. I'm with you. It's, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. There's imagery, and some of it's literal, and some of it's not. And there's a dragon, and there's multiple heads, and you're like, what is going on? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's interesting to study, and maybe we'll do that some more at some point. Uh, you can read about amillennialism and postmillennialism and premillennialism and dispensational premillennialism, and I'm just throwing out huge words at you now, and you're like, I don't even know what this means. Well, think of a graph. <laughs> yeah. He, hear me say this. Jesus is coming back. Those of us who know him will be with him. I can't tell you definitively the particulars, but if you want to talk more about it, again, we're, we're willing to do that. Do you have anything you want to sprinkle on top of that? Yeah, there's some other things I've added. So if you want something to go check out, um, the Bible Project on YouTube, um, they have like a whole series on Revelation, and you'll learn that apocalypse means to reveal. It doesn't mean the end of the earth. Um, so that's a little tidbit there. Um, they, they have like how to read apocalypse literature. They have like a whole thing on Revelation itself. Um, so if you're really like, I really want to dive into this, Kevin and Robsy did a horrible job. Um, sure. Then I, I shoot you over there to YouTube. They're like five, seven minute videos. They're very bite-sized, easy to watch. Um, and they break it down. And they, don't, they don't come from a preconceived notion of like, I have this notion and I'm pushing this agenda. They're, they're trying to be as broad and as trying to be as accurate as they possibly can. Yeah. In 21 here, you know, when Jesus comes back, new, new people, uh, I do want to read this to you. Revelation 21, you should read this, uh, verses 1 through 4, talks about a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And I love this so much. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall be mourning, crying, pain, for those things have passed away. I can't tell you the exact specific order of all of this. I'm telling you, ultimately, in the end, Jesus is going to restore. The Bible talks about creation longing to be restored. It's going to happen. So hold on to that hope. Okay? Uh, these next couple are going to deal a little bit more with uh, the end times, afterlife. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about hell. H-E double hockey sticks. 22, can you discuss hell? What is it like? I-E, is there actual fire? 23, what happens to the people that go to hell? Do they just die forever? Do they just never wake up? 24, if God is everywhere, is he in hell? 25, when someone kills himself, will they still go to heaven? Um, some deep stuff here. Robsy, talk to us about hell. Um, so, the way I understand hell is that it is essentially the absence of God, right? So basically, you're living this whole life on earth, and you're choosing, no, I don't want anything to do with you, God, but God's still giving you all these common graces here on earth. And then, basically, at the end, he's giving you what you deserve, what you've already chose, which is absence from him, except now all of those common graces that we've been given are now taken away. Um, so friends, music, everything just gone. And so is there fire? I think not, because I think God is light. And if God's not there, there's no light. And so I don't think it's actual fire, right? Because fire produces light. Smoke. Smoke, that too. Well, there's smoke, there's fire. I've played Mortal Kombat. I've heard that way too many times. Um, but yeah, so, there's, so I don't think there's actual fire. I think the fire is imagery for how it's going to feel in the absence of all the common graces of God that we have here. So not even the actual presence of God, but just the common graces, just the absence of that just feels like you're burning. It just feels dark and lonely. 
Yeah, uh, just to add to that, you know, this idea of there being multiple levels of hell, I think we've all heard that. That doesn't come from the Bible, that comes from Dante's Inferno. You can read about that, these nine circles of hell. Um, Hell is also not a place where Satan is running around in like a Mm. red leotard poking people with a stick. Like, that's... That's not it. That's, that's Hollywood. That's, that's not what hell is like. I think Robsy's really on to something. I think, think about when you've deeply, bitterly regretted something. Just the, the pain and how that just traps you. I think there's going to be a lot of that in hell, just to look back and realize that you missed it, that you missed the most important thing. Um, Robsy talked about absence of God. Second Thessalonians 1.9 uh, says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, from the glory of his might. And this idea, like, do they just die forever? There is a school of thought out there called cessationism. You could research that. That's cessationism with a C at the beginning. Uh, some people think, because God's loving, uh, he'll burn people up and then they'll be gone and then their punishment won't be forever. The problem with that, in my estimation, is the Bible says that there will be eternal punishment. In the same breath, God says eternal life, eternal punishment. So I think it does last forever man, that, that, that doesn't seem good. You're right, it doesn't. It, there's a picture in the Bible of weeping and gnashing of teeth, like grinding your teeth in pain and suffering. Um, as far as someone killing themselves, will they still go to heaven? Uh, Rob, you and I touched on this one because it's kind of sensitive. Uh, what we really want you to know from this is when you're forgiven in Christ, you are forgiven for all the sins you've committed in the past and the future. It's, it, that's how it works. So, Someone kills himself, do they still go to heaven? I, I would say it probably depends. Like, did they, did they truly know Jesus? Um, there is kind of a, there's, there's a little bit of a Catholic connotation, I think, here of, of unconfessed sin and, and kind of how does that work? And if you kill yourself, well, you've not confessed, and then what happens? And I'm just saying to you, uh, there are people out there who struggle with depression and, and chemical imbalances. And, you know, unfortunately, we, we've probably all seen the stories of people who take their own lives. It's it's hard. But I'm saying to you, I don't think that that sin, taking a life, even if it's your own, is greater than the cross, to go back to what Robsy said. Mm. Um, So uh, it's a difficult thing. And again, if that's something that you've you've lived through, somebody in your school, somebody in your family, uh, we'd we'd love to talk more about that. For sake of time, we've got to move now from hell. We're going to talk uh, about heaven. We're going to end on a happier note. Uh, Maybe. Verses 20, uh, questions 26 through 27. Do family members in heaven think about us? 27, when we're in heaven, do we realize that some people we know have gone to heaven or hell? Do we just forget them? In 28, are, we, are you punished for sins that you did not repent from when you get to heaven? I'll start uh, with that last one and say no, because if you're forgiven in Christ, you're with him, that's been paid for. Do family members in heaven think about us? I don't know. I don't know. But if they do, I tend to think it's not as much as we think. We tend to view ourselves as the star of our own movie that is life. And then everybody who dies, like they're constantly thinking about us. We even see this in Hollywood. I just don't think that's true. Now, Hebrews 12.1 does talk about this great cloud of witnesses, right? And so there is this concept of, okay, there's, there's people there and, are, and they're witnessing what we're doing. But if you think for a minute that your life is more important than the glory of Jesus, you have got your pride so out of whack. So I don't think that you've got your great Aunt Mildred looking over your shoulder at every turn of the way in your life if you believe she's in heaven. Like, I just don't think that's how it works. Um, I, think I think that's a good very... imagery for that is like, you guys ever been over to your friend's house and you guys have been having so much fun you forgot about your phone? And like all these people have been texting you? I forget about my phone all the time. I think it's pretty much the same. Like the party in heaven with Jesus and God is going to be so good. Mm. You're not going to think about your past life. 
You're not going to be thinking about what's going on at Earth or a little bit more on that. Yeah, and, and but yeah, and and some people debate like, will we remember each other? Will we still look the same in our resurrected bodies? And like, guys, I'm saying to you, I've never been there. I don't know. Uh, and I would caution you to read any of these books or watch any of these movies where people are like, I was in heaven for 12 minutes. Let me tell you what it was like. Easy, okay, chill out. Um, read cautiously. But, you know, Jesus does talk about people won't be married in heaven because the focus is not on each other. The focus is on Jesus. Uh, and so heaven's going to be better than you can possibly imagine. You need to hear that. And heaven is also probably not what you imagine. It's not this lounging on the clouds with, you know, wearing a toga and playing a harp. That sounds awful. If I can just, like, can I just say that to you? I think that sounds boring and terrible. Oh my gosh, my youth pastor said heaven sounds boring. No, no, no. I just think we have a wrong idea. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Heaven comes down. The earth is done away with as we know it, and it's restored to what it was before the fall. Hmm. Man, I, I like to picture getting to explore creation with Jesus. Like, I love camping and hiking. Like, will I be able to do that with Jesus in new heaven, new earth? I hope so. I think that'd be sweet. I don't know. I just know it's going to be better than we can possibly imagine. The Bible doesn't say a ton about this. So if you want to read more about it, uh, you absolutely can. But, but just beware of the Hollywood depiction. Anything else on heaven, Robsy? Yeah. So just to further say, heaven isn't like this place above the clouds right. where someone can look down upon you, right? No one has like a magic mirror that they're looking at and they're just like, what are you doing? Mm. I see you text in a crave, <laughs> you know? No one's doing that. There isn't anything like that. Like, like Kevin said, it, it, it's a rebirth of the earth as Eden as it should have been hmm. here on this planet. And I hope you're there. Like, genuinely, I, I really do. I hope one day we can sit together and you're like, man, you didn't know anything about this place. I'll be like, you are right. I did not know. Um, There's football here. Right. Aren't we glad <laughs> that we're here? Um, if you want to listen to a song about this, this is not in my notes, Audio Adrenaline, Big Big House. Just go home tonight, Google the song, it's a big, big house. <laughs> it'll get you hyped, maybe, but it gets me hyped. Uh, there is a line about, we can play football, so go check it out. <laughs> Last question for tonight. In John 3.16, it tells us that God gave his one and only son to die for our sins, but he tells us that we are all his sons and daughters. Could you explain this? Gladly. Let me read to you Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. It says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Don't miss that last part. God doesn't begrudgingly put up with you. He knew you and chose you and loves you. Yes, despite that thing that you're still struggling with. If you are in Christ, you are a co-heir with Christ. And mm -hmm. so you become a son or daughter of the king. But, but we just don't view ourselves that way. We go, oh, I'm, I'm just a lousy sinner. That, but no, like in Christ, that you're more than that. You are redeemed. You are reborn. The Bible talks about the old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. You're not that person anymore. It doesn't mean you don't struggle, but it means you are a son or a daughter of God. Guys, guys in this room, that means we should carry ourselves as such. Like the idea of being a prince, the idea of, of, of having some royalty on you. 
man, you, you should carry that with, with some dignity. Young ladies, as, like, I know it sounds so, it's such a youth pastor cheesy thing, but I mean this. Young ladies, like if you are in Christ, you are a princess. You should be treated as such. You should have some, some self-value, self-worth as such. You can be adopted into the family of God. If you're sitting here tonight and you're like, this was a really weird night to come for the first time. You're right. It's not always like this. But what we want to do every so often is say, hey, you got questions? We'll take them. There's nothing that you could ask that we're afraid of. We might not be able to, listen, you sat here this whole time, you're like, these guys, you're right. We're doing the best we can. But if you have more questions, come to us. But the one thing I would ask you to think about, this is the question for you, is where are you at with Jesus? More important than what am I going to eat tonight? Who's going to win the game? What's school going to be like tomorrow? What is ranch dressing made out of? I'm going to be honest, that's been sitting with me for like 30 minutes. (laughs) I will Google. I would have Googled it during Robsy talking, but I was afraid these people could see my screen. So, later. But where are, you, where are you at with Jesus? Like, if you would say, I know that I have a relationship with him, even if it's not as strong as it should be or could be. Maybe you say, I've just been kind of on the outside looking in this whole Jesus thing, and I still have a lot of questions, and you guys didn't answer them, and what do I do with that? Ask your questions. Shoot your shot. I think God is big enough to handle your questions, your doubt, your fear, your anger, your bitterness, your regret, your pain, your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. God can handle all of that. In Jesus, there's redemption, there's restoration, there's renewal, there's new life. And that's available to you. Well, Kevin, didn't you say earlier you think God chooses us? I do. But I speak to every room that I've ever spoken in, and I go, man, I, I don't know who God has chosen. And my prayer is, and I really pray this, I pray that God has chosen all of you, and I pray that you pass from death to life and that you'll know him change your life. Nothing will change your life like having a relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask Robsy to close us in prayer and then uh, when he's done with that I'll tell you what we're going to do from a small group standpoint because we're down a few folks tonight. Robsy, pray for us. Dear Papa God, we just thank you so much for bringing us all here and just giving us all these questions. And God, just, um, just help give us wisdom. Let us keep just digging for more information about you. Let us just keep getting to know you more and more and more. And God, just give us, the, give us the strength to be able to speak up when we need to speak up, when we need to ask questions, when we need to call people out. God, just when we just have fear, doubts, hesitations, we would just seek you and only you. We wouldn't look, look to men, we wouldn't look to our, our friends, but the God that our focus would just be on you. As we go into small groups, we just ask you to bless this time and bless all of our ride homes and bless this football game. In Jesus Christ's name we pray and the Holy Spirit.